the wild boar is often held by a small dog, Ovid. Welcome to this week's episode of Warfare, Advancement, and Revisionism. My name is Preston Floyd, and as always, I am your host. I'd like to thank you all for joining me this week. Uh, for those who have been listening for several episodes, welcome. I hope you continue to enjoy. And if you're a newcomer, uh, welcome is to you as well. I hope you like this episode and will continue to listen and go back and listen to my backlog uh, for prior episodes. Uh, before we get into the meat of this week's episode, I did want to go ahead and talk about um, the automatic video creation for YouTube. Um, I tested that feature last week, which is something RSS, who is uh, the host I use for the podcast, uh, they rolled that out a couple of weeks ago. And um, it was very convenient in the amount of time I actually had to put into getting the episode to load. Essentially, I just hit a button. Uh, it doesn't give you any feedback. It doesn't tell you that, yes, this has been accepted. It just eventually shows up on your YouTube feed uh, shortly after you hit that button. Uh, so that was very convenient uh, and easy to do. Um, how, and I did like how um, it created a sound wave effect on the video and how it created like kind of a kind of a custom uh, image that integrated my logo uh, for the YouTube video. Uh, but there were some issues I had with it. Uh, I did not like that it did not include create like automatic subtitles. Um, I know that with my accent and with just the things I'm talking about, that those are not always 100% accurate, but it is something that I do think can help some people, and they can, you know, uh, that way if they have to mute my episode, they can at least maybe follow along with some of what I'm saying, or of course if they're hearing impaired. Um, not that I think that my uh, podcast would be the best resource for that uh, affliction. But that being said, I also did not like I, how I could not choose when to upload it. I had to wait for the episode to be published on RSS before it would allow me to um, push it out on YouTube. So in the interest of kind of keeping the uploads in sync and at the same time, uh, I'm going to continue what I've been doing prior. I'm sure that RSS is going to continue to work and kind of like perfect this feature. Uh, but for now, I'm not going to be utilizing it in the future. So we're going to kind of go back to the standard uh, of what we've been doing prior. Uh, yeah, so with that out of the way, let's go ahead and dive into the meat of this episode. Uh, we're going to continue with our overview of Southeast, or I'm sorry, of East Asia uh, between 8,000 and 6,000 BC, BCE. Uh, now, I mentioned all the modern southern Chinese provinces last time and went over them with the exception of Fujian. Uh, that was not meant to disrespect Fujian. Uh, it was done solely to make sure this week's episode wasn't going to be too short. Uh, pad this week's, essentially. Uh, I, now, I also forgot to mention Macau, which is not a province. Uh, it's kind of one of those special administrative di districts similar to Hong Kong. They didn't have quite the level of autonomy, though, and no one was living in Macau uh, at the time frame we've been speaking about. At least there's no evidence of that. So we won't really talk about them again until much later. 
Um, yeah, so uh, back to Fujian. Uh, now, Fujian's name comes from the combination of uh, the province's most uh, two most important cities' uh, names, uh, Fujio and Jianzhou. Now, Zhou is an older word that is used to designate a political entity. Uh, now, I understand that this is a very broad term. It is, and it lends itself to uh, you know a certain flexibility when applying it to whatever entity you're speaking about. Um, it could be a city, and of course a city could become a county, a province, or a state without ever changing its name or vice versa. So it has a lot of flexibility when you translate it into English. Um, you'll see a place rendered as, you know, again, uh, state, province, prefecture, etc. Uh, modern Chinese provincial names use the term slash character Shang. For their provinces, uh, this word has more meanings and can mean uh, to conserve or simplify. Um, so just keep that in mind. Uh, the character Fu means blessing, good fortune, etc. Uh, the character Jian can be used in a couple of different ways. It can be used uh, to mean uh, build or construct, but it also can be used to mean organize or set up. Uh, it can also mean foundation. So the name can be read as something close to established fortune or the foundation of fortune. Um, a good name for a province and a very apt one. Uh, Fujian is among the richest in China despite it ranking I think 15th out of 23 provinces. Uh, in population. Uh, Fuzhou still exists as a city and is the province's capital. However, Jianzhou is now referred to as Jianzhou and is a district inside the modern city of Nanping. So I, I did misspeak a couple of minutes ago. Jianzhou is basically got absorbed and reorganized into uh, a different city, but uh, when the province was founded, it was one of the two largest in the region. Uh, however, uh, these cities are not anywhere close to existence, of course, during the period we're talking about. Uh, like Yunnan, Fujian does not see a standout Neolithic tool or material culture uh, like the Xingpian near the Pearl River Delta or uh, Zhujiang Delta of Guangxi or in Guangdong. Though I think it is safe to assume that there were sizable number numbers of peoples living throughout the region in smallish hunter-gatherer bands. Uh, like Yunnan, it is a very mountainous region. Um, there is even a saying that says Fujian is eight parts mountain, one part water, one part farmland. Um, and the source on that is a little sketchy, but it sounds good and appears all over the internet. But I could not find the origin for the quote. Now, obviously, farming doesn't exist yet, at least not in any large scale. Uh, there is no evidence of humans even starting uh, the, the horticulture that typically presages agriculture uh, in this area. Uh, but the water and mountains do, 
as well as the land that will eventually be used for farming. Uh, these all exist, so uh, these mountains aren't barren wastes dotted by splotches of shrubs and grasses like, say, further uh, uh, west in the Tibetan Plateau region. Uh, they were filled with woods and verdant valleys uh, teeming with game and wild plants. And the waters that made up the, the province uh, were different from the waters of the Zhejiang or the major water system, systems up north. Uh, there is a decently sized river system that feeds into the primary waterway known as the Min River. Uh, but by the metric of China's other, you know, larger rivers, it is small, not just in length, but in terms of number of tributaries and discharge as well. It's still a very useful river, though. Um, the name comes from the Min Chinese. This is a linguistic classification of a Chinese language subfamily. And more on all that later. That's just a whole can of worms that we'll get into further down the line. Uh, another water factor to take into account of this region are several islands just off the coast of this region. These islands will be vital hubs or stopping points in the next season for this region. They become focal points of sedentary living, trading, and migration of peoples in the interior and of peoples from what is now Taiwan. And as I've said before, and will reiter reiterate again, I'll be covering the macro groups taking part in these migrations in an episode specifically for that purpose. It just works better as the sole subject of an episode. For now, though, we're going to just follow uh, the coast north to what is now the modern province of Zhejiang. Now, this name literally means Zhe River. Now, I've attempted to trace the etymology of this, but it's kind of obscure. Um, it doesn't help that the river is now called the Cheongtong uh, after a king in a more historical period, uh, but more on that again later. Uh, from what I can gather, the character for uh, Zhe is theorized to be a phono-semantic creation, uh, and this is a combination of two characters written as one, a character for water, shui, and a, di a different character also pronounced zhe, but meaning fold. Uh, now, for those of you that, like myself, don't know what a phono-semantic creation is, uh, I suggest Googling. It might not help much. Uh, linguistic theory can be hard for some people, like myself, to really pick up easily. But essentially, though, think of it as something like when you adopt one word from one language into another and hide or obscure its origin by using more familiar phonetics and your terms for the core concept, but doesn't quite have the same exact meaning. Um, uh, an example I found for this that is kind of easy to pick up on and is very um, appropriate given our area that we're studying right now uh, is the English word hacker. In Chinese, uh, this word is 
Haiku, uh, and that's H-E-I-K-E is how you would spe spell it in English. But uh, the characters that the Chinese use literally translate as dark visitor. Uh, so the maliciousness is easily conveyed by what they're uh, talking about. Um, but why they are malicious isn't quite uh, clearly translated over. In the Chinese writing system, with its you know very large number of characters, um, meaning you know uh, a number of different things, certain characters can be used to mean the same thing, uh, lends itself to this type of, uh, I guess, interaction. Uh, but almost all languages, of course, have a few examples of this. Um, I should point out, though, that this is not the same thing as a corruption, with which is just when people uh, are writing or repeating what they heard and, you know, them not being 100% accurate. Um, as an example for that, we have the English uh, Yangtze uh, River, uh, which is uh, just a corruption for uh, Shang. Uh, we, we just heard it as Yangtze, and uh, the Chinese, of course, just pronounce it Zhang. Uh, so it was just one of those things where we're not getting it 100% right uh, when, we, when we're you know, transcribing it. Uh, so the Zhe character in Zhejiang is used specifically for that river and for that province and was probably adapted into Mandarin from uh, a Yu hydronym. And we will talk about the Yu of people later. Uh, but for our current time period, we of course have the, uh, the myriad of unorganized hunter-gatherers to talk about. Um, most in the region would probably be living closer to the coast at this period of time. Uh, this is due to a number you know, of very smallish rivers uh, that were feeding into the Shangtang Zhe, uh, creating you know, a number of very useful uh, ectones. Uh, and as you might imagine, their diets would involve a lot of fish and waterfowl in addition to you know, a large selection of wild um, uh, foliage um, and they would easily be able to obtain stones from the hills to the west and the south either via long term travel you know seasonal travel or from trade uh, with other groups uh, some peoples in this region though are beginning to transition to a sedentary lifestyle in what is now the village of uh I'm going to butcher this like I've been butchering pretty much everything else, but uh, uh a Neolithic culture uh, begins to form, and it has been given the name, uh, the same name as the village. Um, these people built stilted wooden houses over the area's marshes and used dugout canoes to traverse them. Um, they also had pottery, which, as we know in East Asia, uh, predates agriculture by you know a couple of thousand years. Um, in addition to your standard stone tools, uh, you know the larger ones, they've also begun to, of course, have those specialized Neolithic bladelets, polished stone, and the like. And they've also begun to use uh, you know more, uh, I guess, decorative stone. Uh, 
uh, things like jade for jewelry and ornaments. Though, of course, jade, I believe, can be fashioned into some manner of tools as well, though uh, it's obviously not quite as good for certain tasks as others. And because of its, uh, you know, its green hue, uh, it's not used too much for practical effects. Um, they also had domesticated dogs, and there is also evidence to suggest that they had either domesticated um, pigs or were in the middle of that process by, um, you know, controlling uh, boars to a certain extent. Um, they didn't seem to have domesticated rice, uh, but they were definitely using wild strains of it and other, you know, uh, I guess, food sups that will eventually become domesticated. Um, and we will dive into those uh, with way more detail in our next domestication episodes. Uh, now this culture forms right at the end of our timeline uh, of 6000 BC and it will last in the area for around a thousand years or so. Uh, so we can't say for sure when they got what, um, but as it pertains to our current season, based on you know what we know of other people in the region, what we can kind of guess in terms of how you know sedentary societies evolve, I would be willing to bet that when this culture, I guess, started as a sedentary society. Uh, they had, of course, your entire stone toolkit. Uh, they knew how to make pottery from, you know, either being descended from the first pottery makers further north or interacting with, with them for, again, a couple of thousand years. Uh, and again, we know East Asians have been using pottery well before agriculture. There's plenty of archaeological evidence to suggest this. Um, we can also guess that they had canoes. Humans have been using canoes for uh, quite a long time. It was vital to, you know, um, uh, I guess uh, immigration or uh, migrations uh, all across uh, parts of Southeast Asia and uh, Australasia, as we'll talk about uh, in our next little unit. Um, so canoes easily made uh you just burnt out logs uh you know just kind of like hollowed out with hand axes and then burnt out that kind of thing these would have been something that people would have been using for a while and it makes travel easier uh they were probably using it to get across the rivers and through these little narrow marshes uh, maybe they were making traps for fish or for a uh, small game uh wood traps things like that um, and, of course, I think they probably had dogs. Dogs, of course, being domesticated for quite a while. And, you know, not that far away in the grand scheme of things, you know, further north in uh, the Eurasian steppe. Uh, but there's plenty of time for that to come south. And, of course, dogs uh, would be used not just for hunting and companionship. They would, of course, be used for food as well. Um, but, like... Um, like as we'll see in the future further west and then eventually here in the east and of course probably originally in Eurasia, dogs will eventually become excellent for 
helping humans manage other animals. Uh, and that's probably something, as you probably guessed from my quote, uh, that these people were using their dogs for to help manage um, wild or semi-wild uh, or early domesticated versions of pigs. Um, so I guess that would be my guess, that they had those four made technologies Neolithic stone tools, canoes, pottery, and dogs. That's probably what they had when they started their civilization um, or their sedentary society, and then they expanded out uh, from there. But again, that's my guess. They may have had a better timeline, uh, but unfortunately, um, finding sources in English about this culture is a little difficult. Um, now, this site was actually first discovered in the 1990s, um, and it was discovered by an archaeologist named uh, Yan Wenming, uh, and he has been the lead researcher on this site since its, since its discovery. Um, he, uh, they have done a couple of expeditions. They, again, they had one in the 90s, and then they had one in the early 2000s, um, and I, I can't... It's hard to get 100% accurate English sources. There's a lot of Chinese sources about it. But they, at least from like the auto-translate feature I've been using, um, it appears that they're all citing a lot of the same you know, quotes and evidence. Um, but there are some excellent pictures you can find of the... Um, of the... Um, of the site and some of the artifacts they found. The canoes are fairly small. Um, enough for, you know, maybe two people, and, you know, um, there's, of course, room, I guess you could probably maybe fit three in there if you had to, but my guess is that they'd want to, you know, use that for storage to an extent as well. Um, also the houses, uh, they have the floor plans, they are extremely small, they're, they're essentially small squares, um, there is not much in terms of, um, um, I guess, extended living space. Not that they need me. They probably just use that just to kind of sleep uh, in a safety from uh, river floods. Um, now, there are some other things that they'll find as well um, that are associated with this though these I think is safe to say it's something you'll find a little bit later um, and again this culture will last until our next season uh, and why it falls apart is something we're going to discuss heavily the next time again it lasts for about a thousand years um, there are probably more sites that could be associated with this culture uh, but again they haven't been found, and we'll go into part of the reason for that uh, in our next season when we talk about uh, this kind of culture's collapse, for lack of a better term. Um, but yeah, so that's what we have for uh, uh, Fujian and Zhejiang, uh, uh, excuse me. Um, so, uh, these are the two, I guess, uh, Fujian, of course, is the last southern province. Um, and then uh, Zhejiang is actually kind of like one of those little weird border regions uh, 
for kind of the future that we'll talk about. Um, it is also not necessarily uh, occupied by what we would consider uh, the Chinese civilization until a later period, although much earlier uh, than uh, you know places further south. Um, when we get back to our next main episode, though, we will be moving a little bit further north um, and moving finally into um, the uh, the Yangtze River, uh, or as the Chinese call it, the Shangjiang. Um, and we will be talking about the numerous civilizations that are, or proto-civilizations maybe, tool cultures, material cultures, whatever you want to call them. Um, we'll be talking about those in the next couple of episodes. Um, and there are quite a few to get through. Um, there is one kind of in the mouth of the, uh, of the river, and then there are some kind of, uh, further upstream. Um, and that's something that's kind of going to be occupying us for, you know, the foreseeable, uh, future. Um. Though, I, I don't know if the Yangtze will take up quite as much as the, um, the Yellow River. Um, but we're beginning to see uh, uh, that there are a number of peoples who are beginning to experiment with this sedentary lifestyle. Um, and that number is only going to increase the further north we go. Um, why this happened more in the north is something we'll get into. Um, there could also be the case, of course, that they just haven't found any evidence of these things in other provinces we've gone over in the past. Um, but I'll talk about all that in detail when we get there. Um, the, uh, uh, the Yangtze is home to a couple of cultures. The Yellow River is a home to a, I think... Uh, it's kind of hard to say. Uh, there's there's some debate of certain groups should be associated with each other, but there's there's more sites further north than there are further south, uh, and there's there's probably and again more reasons for that that we'll get into. Um, but yeah, I think this is probably a good place for now to call this episode. Uh, I know it's a little bit shorter. Uh, I've still got some things I have to do for work this week. Um, and then um, I will be out of town next weekend uh, for 4th of July stuff here in the U.S. Um, but I will try to record kind of like a little bonus episode, uh, one of our little fun ones again. Um, uh, and then I'll try to have that set to upload uh, automatically on the 4th. Um and then it will it will basically for you guys it won't be any different um but i may have to work around it and not upload it until i return home on that tuesday which is the fourth of july uh so it might be a day or two late we'll see um it's it's kind of going to be difficult to say for sure with my um with my work schedule being what it is so i would like to thank you all for joining me this week i hope you've enjoyed Please, if you have any feedback or questions, let me know. Um, if you have any tips on pronunciation, I always appreciate that. Um, but yeah, you can reach me at war at revpod at gmail.com 
or you can direct message me on Twitter. You can also uh, comment on any of my videos on YouTube. I will respond there. So uh, thank you all for joining me this week. I hope you have a good week and yeah, a good day as well. Thank you all. Goodbye.